God, may you just bless our day and bless our week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Kids, you are dismissed that are in the room up to fifth grade. If you're over fifth grade, we want you to stick around here with us. To everybody else who is here, I better put my phone on uh, airplane mode here. I'm going to get sports notifications the whole sermon. I don't know if you guys would appreciate that too much. Happy New Year! (laughs) We made it into 2021. So I want to welcome everybody who is here in person. I want to welcome everybody who is watching the live stream both now or in the future. Um, We're going to continue our study that we just started a few weeks ago through the Gospel of Luke. I'm calling this Luke 2.0 because we went through some of the Gospel of Luke last year. And last year when we went through the Gospel of Luke, we focused, does anybody remember what the focus of was? Anybody remember? The meals, the meals of Jesus. Luke wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke, obviously. He's a doctor. He's writing to this rich patron. But it actually, Luke and the sequel, Acts, comprises 25% of the New Testament. So a lot of the New Testament, 25% of what we get, is from this guy, Luke. And so it's taken us a long time to go through it. It took us last year. We're going to go back through it through Easter this year. Last year I said we focused on the meals of Jesus. It seems like that was his preferred method for doing ministry. And so when Jesus wanted to do ministry, he would get a loaf of bread out of the oven and he would get a big pitcher of wine and some fish. And he would just sit down and he would eat with anybody. He would eat with the religious elite. He would eat with the social outcasts. He would eat with the notorious sinners. And this confused a lot of people. This year, as we go through Luke's gospel again and pick up the pieces that we missed last year, I've titled this series, not the meals of Jesus, but we're going to do from Jesus to Christ. And I want to give a shout out to Jordan, who's here on the front row with blonde hair. She did all the new graphics that you see. So if you like the graphics, she put all those together and serving the church in that way. If you're not aware, yeah, you can give a... Just so you, you don't have to be quiet in church. You can, you can make noise. Yes. So, if you're not aware, from Jesus to Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's not like Colbertson, you know. It's not Jesus H. Christ. That is not his full name. His first name, his human name, is Jesus. Christ is his title as the Son of God. Christ actually means anointed one or the Messiah or the King of Kings. So if you remember Peter's famous response, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the one who has been promised to come and rescue us. And so Christ is his title. And so we're coming up out of the Christmas season now, and in the Christmas season, it's all sweet, right? It's baby Jesus in a manger, and everyone loves a puppy, I mean a baby. My wife especially loves puppies. We got three now. Um, but you, we're, we're, it's the baby in the manger, and it's ooh, and it's ah, and it's the Savior of the world, but you know, we don't think too much about it, and it's warm, and it's fuzzy, And so we start in the gospel, and that's where we're at, and it's the baby, and it's ooh, and it's ah, but then it's crickets. It's nothing. The gospel writers give us nothing of Jesus' childhood, nothing of him as an early adult and him working. And so we don't know about his first job. We don't know about his first miracle maybe that he did for Mary and Joseph. We don't hear about that. We don't know about the friends of Jesus until we get to the disciples. We don't know his favorite color. We don't know his favorite food. I'm sure it was pizza, but we don't know his favorite food. And so when we read Scripture, 
We ought to be aware of that kind of stuff. We ought to ask those kind of questions. Because, look, we assume that Luke had more material about Jesus' childhood. He's, he's a researcher, and he's putting together data, and he's compiling it together. And so when he was doing the research, surely he found out more about Jesus' childhood and early adult years. But he omits all of that. And so why does he omit what he omits? And why does he include what he includes. And what we'll find tonight is he includes a story, one story of Jesus' childhood when he was 12 years old. But before we get to that, Jesus is the Christ. That is where Luke wants to move us, Jesus in the manger to the Christ. And that's what we're going to focus on. But Jesus showed up to earth as just this ordinary, plain old Joe. Isaiah 53, 2 says, there was nothing special about him, nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. And so Jesus came, and he looked like a million other people. Jesus woke up in the morning with bad breath. He got sleepy after a long day in the sun. 32 teeth, I think, is what we have. One belly button. That's what Jesus had. But of all the Gospels, Luke has the longest and the most famous Christmas narrative. It's chapter 1 and it's chapter 2. That's where we go to read the Christmas story usually. But right there, tucked at the very tail end, of the Christmas story at the end of chapter 2 is this one and only account in all of the Bible of Jesus as a boy. And yet I've tended to overlook this passage. It's just like the, the afterthought on the Christmas story. But Luke included this story about Jesus as a boy. And so we ought to ask our questions, why? Why I believe is because this is a transition from that feel-good, warm and fuzzy story of Christmas of Jesus' birth, it's a transition from that to the march towards his death and the emergence of him as the Christ. And so we're going to read that story tonight. Luke chapter 2, I'll be using the New Living Translation. We go verse by verse. The words will be up on the screen if you don't want to pull it up on your phones or your Bibles. But verse 41 is where we'll begin, Luke chapter 2, and it says this. It says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Now, if you're new to church or you know what Passover is, it's one of three pilgrimages, Pentecost and the uh, Feast of Tabernacles being the other ones. And if you were a serious Jew, if you took your faith seriously and you were committed to attending at least one of these festivals every year. And I want you to know, for, for Mary and Joseph, it took some real commitment and sacrifice for them to go to this every year. It's 80 miles from Nazareth to Jerusalem. They don't get to hop in their car, so that's a three-day-plus, maybe four-day journey walking with bandits and everything else along the way. So it took some commitment and sacrifice every year to make this journey. So I want to talk to the parents in the room right now. If you have kids, we need to model our faith to our children. Not just tell them what we believe, but show them what we believe. Allow them to see our passion. Show them our commitment to our faith. And so parents, when you show up to this place week after week and you make it a priority or you make the sacrifice to be here, you are doing it for yourself, but not just for yourself. You're also doing that for your kids. And so think, when you stay home and you decide to skip church two out of four weeks, what message does that send your kids? Well, I think it sends that your faith isn't really a priority, that God's people and being around them every week isn't really worth the effort. So I wonder when Jesus was two years old, terrible twos, right? I mean, he cried and he screamed and he did all the stuff, a two-year-old. How much easier would it have been for Mary and Joseph to say, you know what, tough season of life. I mean, he's young, he's not going to know if we skip this one year anyway. 
And I imagine that Jesus isn't an only child. We know that he had younger brothers and sisters, and so they probably came along right away. And so maybe Mary and Joseph said, you know, when it's a season. When the kids get a little older and they're a little better behaved, we'll make that trip to Jerusalem. And every year that came and every year that went, the excuses got a little easier. It's a little league playoff. It's a business function. I just don't feel like it. And slowly but surely, we drift away from the habits I'm talking about Mary and Joseph. They drifted away from their habits of what drew them close to God in the first place and the habit that would allow their children to connect with, to learn, and to draw close to God. Everything we do as parents, parents, sends a message to our kids. And so Mary and Joseph sent the message to their kids that God and his people were the priority of their family. They aren't rich, and so... It's going to cost them a lot of money. They had to take time work, off work to go, so they're sacrificed, but they went. Jesus may have never sinned, but he cried at a baby, probably at the most inopportune times in the rabbi's readings, but they went. There were years, I'm sure, that they got there and they missed more than they heard because they were trying to wrestle and wrangle their kids that were running all over the place, but they went. And remember, Jesus is fully human, so they needed to go because Jesus, as a human, needed to learn, just like the rest of us. And so they went, and he learned through teaching. He learned through modeling. He learned through others within their faith community. So these trips and our gathering together here weekly is important. Verse 42 says, when Jesus was 12 years old, this is our one and only story in all the Gospels. Jesus as a boy. He's 12 years old. They attended the festival as usual. And so as usual, what would happen is they would go from Nazareth to Jerusalem and they would travel in a big caravan and they would have family in that caravan. They would have family in that caravan, friends that are family. And they would do this because it provided protection. There were truly bandits and pirates or whatever along the way that was looking to rob and pillage. But they also did it so they could share resources. You know, this person had food and this person had a cart or whatever. And so they would share their resources and they would help each other within their community take care of each other's kids. It was a village. Verse 43 then says, after the celebration was over, Passover is just the opening day of the the celebration. It's a seven-day feast. It says, after the celebration was over, they started back home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Jesus made the conscious decision to stay behind. It says his parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. Mary and Joseph are not helicopter parents like those of us today who know where their kids are every waking moment, have a tracking device installed in their children at birth. Mary and Joseph are much more laid back. And Jesus was 12 years old, which, you know, in our day and age, 12 is still a pretty young kid. But in first century Palestine, 12 years old was the verge of adulthood because 13 was considered being an adult. And so I want you to know here, Mary and Joseph losing their child, that doesn't make them bad parents. They just took for granted that Jesus was with somebody in their traveling group. It says, as it continues, but when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among the relatives and friends. And so Mary's like, Joe, have you seen Jesus in a while? I haven't seen him in a while. And Joe's like, Come to think of him, I haven't seen him in a while either, and I haven't seen him since we left the temple. And they start asking around, and nobody's seen Jesus in a while, and they start getting that sinking feeling that we've all gotten when we've misplaced one of our children, right? You, you know what that feels like. Every parent who's ever existed has misplaced 
a child. I mean, maybe they've lost a child at a porta pot. They lock themselves in there for 30 minutes or more. Or maybe they've lost a child at a hotel because they wandered off and couldn't find them for hours. Or maybe they lost a child because it fell off a boat. And maybe that child is always named Presley that seems to get lost. <laughs> Presley was the one up here tonight. She was our wanderer. We lost her a lot. But you know that feeling, that panic, that panic that just starts to set in. And so it says in verse 45, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Now I said again, Jesus is nearly an adult, so maybe they weren't too worried. But remember, they left him in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the big city, right? And it's Passover. And so during Passover, this already big metropolis city, it would grow to five to seven times its normal size. And all kinds of people would be coming into the city. And so this would be like losing your kid in New York City at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And there would just be all kinds of riffraff and people brought into the city. And so they would go back to the city, and they would be frantically searching. And as they searched, the fear would begin to grow and grow as they would play out the worst-case scenarios of what happened to their misplaced child. Verse 46 says, three days later then, they finally, three days of agony searching for their kid, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. So we've already seen the temple a couple of times in the Gospel of Luke. We talked about Zechariah's vision a couple of years ago. That's where Luke starts in the Gospel, and it's there in the temple. And we met Simeon, and we met Anna a couple of weeks ago, and that was there in the temple, the center of worship, the center of God. And in fact, when we get to the very end of Luke's Gospel this year, it will conclude with a scene in the temple, the disciples there praising God. But between these early moments in the temple and that last moment in the temple, in this moment right here, the temple's going to become a place where Jesus creates a lot of confusion. He'll challenge the religious. He'll say weird and awkward things. He'll talk about that temple's destruction. But for now, as a 12-year-old boy, he's simply sitting there and he's listening. He's learning. He's asking questions because that's how the rabbis would teach. They would have a discussion and you would ask questions back and forth. And that was the teaching method. And Jesus would answer some of those questions and go back and forth. And what he was doing is he was assuming the posture of a disciple. Verse 47 then says, All who heard him, Jesus, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. These rabbis would be teaching, and in their teaching, they would probably include some talk about the coming Christ, the Messiah that was going to come and was going to sit upon David's throne. And they would have debates, and they would have discussion, and little did they know, sitting before them was that Messiah, that Christ, but he doesn't look the part. There's nothing beautiful or majestic about him. And so teenage Jesus, tween-age Jesus has acne. His voice is changing. It's probably cracking as he talks. He's got on cheap clothes because they're poor. A bad bowl haircut is what I imagine. <laughs> he's just a poor boy from Nazareth. And so he starts at kind of this low level when he speaks up and he speaks. And this poor boy from Nazareth catches everybody's attention. He's got just amazing depth of knowledge from the Torah. And he has this understanding that others, especially of his age, certainly do not have. And he's able to address some of the problems in Scripture that nobody seemed to be able to agree upon or have answers to. And he gives new ideas and new answers. And it causes even the most intellectual in the group to pause and to think. And it says, everyone from highest to lowest is amazed by this young boy. Everyone that is, except for mama. 
Verse 48, his parents didn't know what to think. And so mom comes in and she says, son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I, like the, your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. Mary finds Jesus and she just blurts it out. Son, why have you done this to us? She's found her son, but she's angry with him. I was about Jesus' age, maybe a little bit older. Uh, I went on a canoe trip, and it was, I was a Mormon when I grew up, and so it was with my Mormon youth group, and it was up in Indiana, a river called the Blue River of Indiana. It emptied out into the Ohio River, and we were, uh, went on a, this youth group trip, and you had different places you could stop and start. You could start upriver and come back to the canoe center, or you could start at the canoe center and go, you know, seven or eight miles downriver. They would get you out there and then cart you back in a bus, and so we decided to do the seven-day Four-hour trip, start at the canoe center, and go seven miles down. They pick us up and take us back. This is about eight in the morning. And I brought a friend from school because every good Mormon's trying to convert all their friends and neighbors to Mormonism. And so I brought a friend from school, and there's two of us in every canoe. My little brother's four years younger. He wanted to tag along. Nobody wanted to be in his canoe, so he was paddling his canoe by himself. We got ahead of the... And I let him because that's my little brother. That's what you do. And, and as we went, we got ahead of the group quite a ways ahead of the group, and we start goofing off, and we're flipping our canoes, and there's rapids and whatever, and remember, there's no cell phones, and there's no watches, because we weren't smart enough to put a watch on, but eventually, we're like, dang, this is a long trip. We had ran out of food, we had ran out of water long ago, and we noticed the sun is starting to set. Mind you, we left at 8 a.m. We're feeling tired, we're feeling exhausted. One of us says, where were we supposed to stop again? Turns out we were 10 hours into our four-hour trip. We had missed, obviously, the stopping point. But no one at first noticed we were missing. But eventually, for everyone in the group, panic set in. People began searching. They sent out the search and rescue team. People were frantically searching. My parents were both called at work saying their kids had been lost. And so they were crying. They were playing out the worst case scenarios. There were rapids and undercurrents in this river. And so they were starting to think maybe we had drowned. And so the three of us adventurers, we finally got to a place where we could pull our canoes out of the river. And we decided we probably ought to go find a phone. Walking down the road to find the phone, some of the rescue workers drove by. They saw us, called it in, and then drove us back to the rental place. Yay, the kids are rescued. We get back, and all the church people are around waiting, and my parents had made it there by then, and, you know, we were lost, so I expected hugs from my parents. But I got there, and I got anger. All the people were mad at us, my parents being the most. And I remember that moment. I remember getting in a big fight with my parents and yelling at them in front of all the other people. How dare you be angry at me? You people lost us. You should be elated that we're alive. But looking back, I can see that my parents' anger was there because they loved us. Because I've now lost children and I know what that feels like. And so you're angry because there's a mix of guilt and anxiety and fear and loss. And so in a very tense moment, when you find that child, you display anger because you love them. And doesn't make that expression right, but as a parent who has misplaced a child or two or three, I get that expression. And so that's Mary. She blurts out in anger, young man, how could you have done this to us? We've been searching for hours and days. 
But Jesus doesn't start a fight with his parents. He doesn't get angry with them. He just very matter-of-factly and calmly and gently responds, verse 49, but why did you need to search? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Kids, if you get lost, greatest excuse ever, where have you been? I've been at church for the last three days. I've been with God. Get you out, I probably won't get you out of trouble, but you can try it. But that's a rather odd statement. He doesn't say, oh, sorry, Mom, sorry, Dad, my bad. He doesn't say, oh, I lost track of time. I was just on my knees. I was here talking to God. I was debating. I was discussing. I was learning. He doesn't rebuke Mary, I don't think, and if he does, it's a really gentle rebuke to his mom. He just, again, very matter-of-factly says, why were you looking? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? Verse 50 says, but they, Mary and Joseph, did not understand what he meant. I'm going to pause here for a bit because that is an ongoing theme in Luke's gospel, this idea of Jesus being confusing, people not knowing what he meant or why he did what he did. I want to pause here too because that's an ongoing theme if you're a follower of Christ in all of our lives. Jesus is confusing. He's hard to understand. He'll baffle you. He will make you squirm. He even might make you angry. On this side of history, in a post-Christian world, that statement to us that Jesus is in his father's house isn't so shocking. I mean, we have this idea that we are God's children, and that's pretty much the norm, even if you're outside of Christianity, to say you're a child of God today. But in Jesus' day, that statement would have been utterly confusing. Jesus is claiming a kind of relationship with the divine that no one had ever claimed. God as father. It's way too intimate. Seem arrogant to say, God is my father. And on top of that, putting myself in Joseph's shoes, his dad, for me as his dad, that would have been especially hurtful that he's here in his father's house. That's not my house. Give you a little background. I said 13 was generally considered adulthood in that generation. And so at 12, this Passover feast would have been the last one of your childhood, and it would have been a special one for father and son. In that final year, the dad would have given just some really special, detailed, deep instruction. It had just been a really special one-on-one -on -one time. And so Joseph would have taken Jesus through the temple and told him about all the different parts of the temple and what they were and what they represented. And then he would talk about the Passover lamb and what that signifies and share that story. And he'd talk about the heritage of the Jewish people. And there'd just be this intense mentoring happening between father and son. They would go through the streets of Jerusalem and talk about the holy city and what that means. And Jesus just says, you know, hey, Joe, I wasn't with you because I needed to be here with my other dad. That's confusing. That's, that's upsetting for a father. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you better get used to that kind of confusion, those turn-your-world-upside-down ideas. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you better get used to him not being where you thought you left him as you travel through the road of life. Every time you think you understand Jesus, every time you think you know where he's at and what he's up to, get ready to be confused. C.S. Lewis in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you've read the books or seen the movie, um, Lucy, you know, she's the young character, and there's Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and Aslan the Lion is representative of Christ and, and all that, and, and hopefully you've seen some of that before. But there's a scene in the movie and in the book where it goes like this. It says, if there's anyone who can appear before him, this is uh, the beaver talking, 
Lucy is, is worried and just scared about meeting the lion. She's, she's fearful. She says, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan the lion without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. And so Lucy, this young girl, she replies, then he isn't safe. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I shared that text many times, and I shared it once with a youth group I was teaching at our former church on Wednesday nights, and that evening, after I had taught and used those, those statements, I got a call from one of the parents, and she was just really upset with me for telling her teenage daughter that God was not safe. But I stood by that statement, and I still stand by it today. Yes, it's confusing that both God can be unsafe and still good. But it's also confusing that God can be both big and scary and powerful and omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent and yet humble and compassionate and loving and personal. But that's our confusing Jesus. The more you study Scripture and the more you come to know Jesus, the more confused you'll be. It doesn't get easier. It doesn't get better. But the more you come to more Jesus and know him truly, the more you'll come to his unsafe throne of grace with confidence. And you'll come to that throne of that unsafe God with confidence. Here's why. Verse 51 gives us some idea. It says, then Jesus returned to Nazareth with his parents and was obedient to them. Jesus was the first child in history that was older than his parents. Not only that, he was the creator of his parents. And so without sinning, he could have went back home and not had to submit to them, I think, in obedience. But he did so anyway. And that's precisely why you can confidently approach his confusing, unsafe throne of grace. Jesus didn't have to submit to us. He didn't have to submit to being born in a trough. He didn't have to submit to being a carpenter and having customers and having to submit to those customers. He didn't have to submit to John the Baptist that we're going to talk about next week and be baptized. He didn't have to submit to his disciples and wash their dirty feet. He didn't have to submit to the soldiers that came to rescue him. He didn't have to submit to illegal trials that were held. He didn't have to submit to the cross. He didn't have to submit to death, but he did it anyway. Last Easter, I preached through the story at the very end of Luke's gospel of these two men right after Jesus' death, and they're on the road to Emmaus. And they too, like Mary and Joseph, felt like they lost or misplaced Jesus. They lost him to death. And like Mary and Joseph, they're confused. We thought he was the Christ. We thought he was the one. And then they meet this stranger. It's Jesus kind of in disguise. In our story tonight, Mary says, Jesus, why did you do this to us? And Jesus responds, don't you realize it's part of the plan? In that story of those two men on the road to Emmaus, just like with Mary, Jesus very calmly responds in the same way to them. Didn't you realize this is all a part of the plan? We all have this tendency today to say, you know, I'm going to give my life to Christ I'm going to obey, and I'm going to do everything right, and I'm going to commit my life to him. I'm going to surrender, and then he's going to answer my prayers, and he's going to bless me how I think I should be blessed. But what you'll find is that Jesus will constantly confuse and confound those ideas. I'll go as far to say at times Jesus will exacerbate you because he has me. Confusion over 
the bad stuff that happens in life. Confused, why didn't Jesus step in and stop this? Confusion over the parts of the Bible that are just difficult to digest. Confusion over why we don't have peace in our decisions, that we've been praying for peace in those decisions for years. There will be times in your life, even if things are all hunky-dory and great right now, there's going to be times in your life where you're going to be like Mary in this story. Jesus, I've loved you, taken care of you. I've given my life to you. How can you treat me like this? How can you just up and disappear so that I can't find you? And then when you do find Jesus, you'll probably find that he won't give you the answer that you wanted, at least in that moment. And so you might be asking, you should be asking, why should we follow someone so confusing and confounding? Let's go back to that verse. I'm going to see if I can unpack this. Verse 51 says, Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. We trust Jesus because he's totally committed and obedient to the people he confuses. We don't have to look far to see how committed, how obedient Jesus was to us. We only need to look the cross. So even when it doesn't feel safe, we can know that he is good because he's shown us. And so let's see how Mary responds to her confusion and anger. Verse 51 says, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. Mary takes her confusion and she treasures it. She takes what she does know about Jesus and she treasures that in her heart. All of us have very little idea what Jesus is up to. And if you say you do, you need to stop saying that because you just don't know what Jesus is up to in your life and this world. I mean, if Mary, who was told by the angel who Jesus was and she lived with Jesus and she talked with Jesus daily, if she didn't know everything Jesus was up to, well, why would we? If Mary and Joseph could look track, lose track of Jesus and had to go searching for him, why shouldn't we? If Jesus didn't give Mary and Joseph the answer they wanted, why would we expect him to give us the answers we always want? And so, take that confusion that you have with Jesus and treasure it. Take what you know. What we just sang, that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Take that, what you know, and store it in your heart, and allow your soul to sing. One final verse, verse 52. And the story says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. I started with, of all the childhood stories of Jesus that Luke could have told us, why is this the one that he pulls out and he plugs into the end of the Christmas story in his gospel? Well, this is from the first book of opinions, so just know that, okay? This is just Brian's interpretation, Brian's opinion. But I think something happened to Jesus on this trip as well. I don't know if he became conscious in that moment that he was God or that he was Christ, but on this trip at 12 years old for Jesus, something clicked. And so I thought, why, why, what if while Joseph was telling Jesus all about the temple and the different little parts, Jesus' Father in heaven was going a million levels deeper about the temple and what it meant and how it would change. 
What if while Joseph was expressing what the Passover lamb meant to his young boy, God the Father told Jesus that he would become the Passover lamb? That in these very streets of this holy city of Jerusalem, he would carry a cross. Part of the human experience is growth. Jesus is fully God, but he's fully human. And so Jesus experienced growth. Experienced physical growth from a baby to an adult. He experienced emotional growth. He experienced intellectual growth. He experienced social growth. And Jesus, yes, experienced spiritual growth. And so the one who holds the stars in place had to experience human growth just like us, which I think means perhaps he even experienced a little bit of confusion along the way, although his confusion wasn't marred by sin like ours. So when you're confused, you're not alone. Your Savior's been there before. So we just came through a confusing year. I'll close with this. 2020 certainly was a weird one. It was confusing. And as we got to the new year and everybody's celebrating, by show of hands, how many made it to midnight? Let's see if more than half the room. Your pastor did not. I was dead at 1030 or so. I couldn't make it. Uh, until I heard the neighbors shooting off what sounded like bombs landing on London and exploding the house. But uh, I didn't make it to midnight until I was woken up by that. But I got up the next morning and I saw a lot of people posting, you know, memes or stories. And, you know, thank goodness 2020's over. Or, you know, that was a terrible year, but 2021, it's going to be better. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it happen. And 2021's going to be our year. And, or maybe just people asking, can 2021 be better? I don't see how it could be any worse. Is 2021 going to be better than 2020? It could be, or it could be a whole heck of a lot worse. We don't know. The odds are probably equal that it could go either way. And so either way, whatever happens in 2021, treasure the confusion and allow that confusion to help you grow and sanctify. Be reminded of how little control you have over this life. And be reminded how much this world needs Christ in that confusion. But here's what I know about 2021. Jesus will confuse you. The roaring lion will not be safe. He'll disturb your comfort. He probably won't be where you thought you left him. He'll be somewhere out ahead or he'll be somewhere back behind. And so because of that, then treasure what you know. Treasure the fact that he will always be obedient to his word, that he'll turn mourning into dancing, that he'll turn our shame into the glory, that our graves will one day, if not today, someday will become gardens. And so if that God is for us, then what could ever stop us in 2021 or the years to come? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather as believers, to gather in your name. God, we thank you for a savior that we can relate to who was one of us, who went through all the same things that we go through as human beings. And so, God, we thank you for coming down, from stepping down from your throne and becoming one of us and dying for us and then giving us the grace and mercy that when we're confused and when we step the wrong direction, you're there to pick us up and continue forward. And so, God, I just pray as we go through this study that we will see you go from Jesus to the Christ to the Son of the living God, our Lord and Savior, and that lives will be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a couple of announcements before you kick on out of here.
tonight, I put this on Facebook, and I'll make a mention of it again. 2020, you know, it was a weird year, and we were out of church from March to August and had to do it online, and I know there was a lot of articles and stuff going around that church's giving was going to be down and, you know, across the country because people just weren't showing up or whatever, and I assume that was the case, and I happened to check at our, our balance sheet to see, you know, where we were from this year to last year and what our total giving was, and surprisingly, this church, our giving went up 20% in 2020 over the prior year, so I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness, for people who give, because that giving allows us to keep the lights on and to keep gathering in this place. It allows ministry to happen here four or five days a week right now that's happening. It allows ministry to happen in this community through organizations we support. We keep our expenses very low because we don't have any paid staff, and so we keep expenses low so that we can pour out a lot into this community, and so just thank you for trusting and giving to this church. Uh, also, another way you can give, and you can give online or you can give, there's a safe in the back of the room if you want to drop a check in that. Um, that's how you can give to Refuge. Another way you can give, though, is there's a food pantry. You may have noticed when you came in, all the shelves that are out there. And what that serves is there are people who come in here every week in recovery groups. I think it's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday night right now. We have recovery groups, and then we have youth group Wednesday. And so there are people coming through here every night for those meetings, and some of them need food, and we want to provide that food. And it's amazing how fast the food and the supplies go. And so we just want to ask you, as we come into 2021 and we're creating new habits, I hope one of those habits is being here every single week. I hope another habit is as you go every week and do your own grocery shopping, maybe you pick up a couple things that week to bring here that Saturday night for our food pantry. It's that easy. When you go do your shopping of the week or however often you go, buy a few things to bring here for our food pantry because it does go quick. And we're going to do something different this year. We're going to try a kind of a theme every month. If you want to be a part of the theme every month, we'll do something different. And so January, we're going to call it Back to Basics. When you go grocery shopping, just buy some basic supplies that we can put into the food pantry. And that's things like shampoo, conditioner, um, diapers for kids, ladies' stuff, anything that is supplies. I know, I mean, guys, you're the worst. I don't know why I call you family, really. It's true. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. Bring, bring supplies uh, for the pantry. And if you don't want to do that, then pick up some granola bars, pick up some canned soups, some Kraft mac and cheese, whatever. But we want to be a blessing to the people that are coming through this space so that maybe at some point in time they say, you know, man, these people open up their building. They don't ask for anything. They're giving us food. Maybe they'll just drop by one Saturday night and maybe they'll get to hear a little Jesus preach to them. So uh, uh, thank you for doing that. I ask you to continue to do that. Um, Tomorrow, it's New Year's, if anybody's got a weight loss um, goal for whatever you call it, what a resolution for the new year, Jordan is starting a fitness class. Jordan is, again, the one that did the graphics up front here. She's starting a fitness class, and it's not fitness cheeseburger in your mouth or whatever people say, but it's an actual exercise fitness class where you come in here and do exercise, and I, the times are up there and stuff, right? 10 a.m. tomorrow, right? In this place, you can come in here and sweat. Clean it up if you do, but come in here and sweat. I think it's $10 per person to cover the time, and you'll get a professional personal trainer to take you through some fitness and exercise to kick off your year right. I know uh, Karen says she's planning on coming several times. I might even sneak in and out a few times as well. Um, my girls are both really sore from the workout you took them through this week. They're crying about it all week. So she, she will put you through the ringer, but it'll be good. 
Just the last couple of things. Our website is www.refuge.church. Uh, if you're a visitor here and you're just checking us out for the first time, you can go there. You can click on a link that says culture, and you can actually find eight weeks of sermons that just talk about the basic culture of this church. So you can see if this is a community you'd want to be a part of. That's questionable, though. It's a confusing community. Number two, though, if you've been checking us out for a while and you're like, you know what, I want to make this our church home, there's a link on there. It's refuge.church slash misfit, and you can uh, make a commitment to make this your church home. Just so we know who's in this with us, who is committed to making this their church home. Our lease is up on this building in June or July of this year, and we have to make some decisions. What kind of space we go into? Do we stay here? Do we spend money remodeling or whatever? So we do need an idea of who's in this thing, who's with us, and, and what we're going to do with that going forward. I think that's it. Happy New Year. Will 2021 be better than 2020? I have no earthly idea. Will there be stuff that happens this year that's going to confuse the heck out of you? Probably. Will God be with you? Will God be for you? Will he be obedient to his word? Absolutely. And so treasure that as you go into this new year. God bless. Love y'all. See you next week. Thank you.